You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with an astrobiologist, science communicator, and author, Louis Dartnell. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. AI is neither inherently good nor inherently bad. Like any other technology, it's just a way of doing something. And it's how we control that technology by making active decisions about what we will allow or not allow be the pathway to the future. But I think there's been a lot of doomsday talk in recent months about artificial general intelligences and, you know, so the Terminator type outcome. And, I, you know, as an extreme outlier, it's certainly not impossible, but I don't personally believe that is a probable outcome from where we are now. The challenges that are facing our society at the moment with things like climate change and the emission of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And what I discuss in Origins is that this is effectively the unintended consequence of a solution that we found in the late 1600s and early 1700s to a fundamental problem society was facing at the time, which is we were running out of energy. And, and certainly in Britain and Northern Europe, to a lesser extent, we were coppicing woodland. We were generating as much timber as we could to burn to fuel our society, whether that was baking bread or making glass or smelting metals and making tools. We were basically starting to starve for energy. We had no more timber we could access. And it's when we realized we could dig underground for ancient fossilized woodland, which is basically what coal is. It is wood from about 300 million years ago. Do we realize we had this what at the time appeared to be a, a abundant, if not near infinite, supply of energy which we could fuel our society on. And it, it acted almost like, you know, a, a genie being released from the, the magic oil lamp and granting the wish that society was begging for, but always with genies' wishes. I and mean, when they grant them, there's always a bit of a twist in it. And the unintended consequence of burning all that coal and then oil, as we know, was a re release of the carbon dioxide and, and changing our atmosphere and, and warming the planet. So it's, it's a problem born out of our own ingenuity and resourcefulness. And I'm confident that we will find the solution out of our own ingenuity and resourcefulness. And part of the solution we have already, it's, you know, it's renewable sources like solar power, hydroelectric power, nuclear fusion. When we crack that as a technology is going to be a huge part of the energy mix in the future because it can be made, you can generate electricity, generate energy very cleanly and efficiently. But you're right, we, we have some big changes, big alterations we need to be making to our everyday lives right now, simply just to reduce the amount of stuff that we use and the number of flights that we take and the amount of meat that we eat. I, I don't think this is a new message for people to be hearing, but it does remain an uncomfortable message for us to be taking on board and acting upon. You, you have to take short-term sacrifices in your lifestyle and your comfort and your enjoyment for a longer-term benefit, which is a bit more nebulous and, and a bit more diffuse. The point I explore in the book is that humans have constraints and we, and we have our capabilities, and that the human condition and therefore the whole course of, of world history has played out in the interplay between those constraints and, and capabilities. And talking about the constraints of our cognition, our memories are clearly limited. And on the whole, that doesn't really affect our everyday lives. You know, our, our cognition and our psychology developed under very different circumstances in East Africa and the sort of savannah and the grasslands. Our brain has evolved to make survival decisions quickly and on the whole, effectively. And there's a whole area of psychological neuroscience research to do with cognitive biases, how our brains, often unbeknownst to us, often sort of hidden behind the scenes, 
make assumptions or make rational errors in the decisions that, that they make. So there's a whole chapter in Being Human about how we have these fundamental flaws in our cognition, the sort of bugs in the programming code of, of our psychology, if you like, and how they come about and what might be the causes behind them, but also what some of the effects of those have been through history, through these cognitive biases. And I talk about things like confirmation bias. We are very resistant to changing our minds, changing our opinion on something, even in the face of mounting evidence that shows we were wrong or we've made, we come to the wrong conclusion. And I discuss in the book that Columbus, I argue, in being human is a very, very notable example in history of some suffering from confirmation bias, despite all the mounting evidence that Columbus had not reached the Far East. He hadn't reached India or China, which he was trying to do. He'd reached some strange new land that no one had anticipated. He simply disregarded or ignored all the evidence that suggested he was wrong, that he should have changed his opinion. A lot of the solutions debugging or sort of debiasing our decisions are to create institutions or create systems of decision making that have built into them checks and balances. So for example, if a decision is being made by a group, often the first person to speak or the first opinion to be put forward has greater sway than one that comes up in the discussion later. It's, it's sort of like a, a flag being put into the ground and all other ideas are sort, of, are sort of considered in relation to that. I look at features of the planet itself, features of the, the ground we walk on or the atmosphere high above our heads. And clearly geography has been very, very important in the fates of different city-states or nations or even entire empires to do with you know, how well you can defend your borders or what opportunities the geography provides. Democracy arose in Greece because the city-states are relatively isolated from each other by quite a rugged mountainous terrain. And that's a direct consequence of plate tectonics and Africa riding north and crashing into Europe and crumpling up the coastline of the northern med. Um, so the hilly mountainous Greek landscape is a direct consequence of, of plate tectonics. And it means that certain military technologies, which are very, very popular in the Levant, for example, like the chariot, just don't work in Greece. So it's all about infantry and foot soldiers and each man in the phalanx protecting the man on his side with the shield. So the argument is that this idea of every man helping everyone else in the phalanx and the sort of military unit then bled through into society in general and this idea of, of democracy emerging in, in Athens, earliest in, in Greece. Britain is something of an oddity within Europe, certainly at least, in being a, a large island nation state. And that has been hugely influential in, in British history. And it's one of the stories I tell in Origins about, well, effectively the original Brexit. What was it that created the British Isles as an island around half a million years ago? And this was during the last ice age and a mega flood effectively gouged out the English Channel and severed Britain from the rest of Europe. And that's been hugely influential through the, the hundreds and thousands of years of, of the history of the British Isles, that sort of defensibility and slight isolation from the rest of the continent. Space is offering us huge advantages in our modern world to do with the way we communicate with each other, with technologies like GPS. GPS underlies a lot of financial activity nowadays. Anytime you go to a cash point to take out some money, GPS is being used as a timestamp for a lot of transactions across the internet and between banks. GPS is being used to validate and, and timestamps for that. So GPS is hugely important for the way the modern world works. 
And we also use space a lot for Earth observation in general, you know, for weather prediction, for disaster relief, for tracking the effects of, of climate change, for tracking hurricanes or other natural disasters and trying to protect people. It seems that a lot of education at the moment is still just a little bit backwards and a little bit obsessed with training students to remember things to remember facts and figures. And of course, knowledge is important. But in the modern world, when every one of us has got the sum total of human knowledge, you know, in our pockets as we walk around, when you've got a smartphone that connect to the internet or to Wikipedia or just search engineing, it's much less important what you can hold in your own head, what you can remember, because you can just look it up whenever it becomes important. What is so much more important now in education and for people's working lives is not whether you know something or not, because you can, you can easily look that up or double check your memory, but it's how you interpret or analyze or synthesize that information. So I think a lot of what we ought to be seeing with the future of education will be along those lines, not exams where you're basically spending three hours checking a student's memory and how much they can write down in the handwriting on a piece of paper, but much, much more about assessing how well they've developed skills and techniques in rapidly understanding and interpreting and, and analyzing information and making decisions based on the information. The internet has changed a huge amount about what is important in our lives and simplified many things that we would have been examined on otherwise. And, and of course, AI links into this as well. When it comes to assessing students in writing essays, it's now very hard to guard against plagiarism through students using an AI to write an essay because it's effectively undetectable at the moment. I think AI will become hugely beneficial for education in that you won't need to start thumbing to the index of a great big encyclopedia or textbook to look up the page number to turn to to realize that's not actually quite what you were trying to find. You can just write your question into an AI search function and it will give you a paragraph or two of explanation pitched to your level of understanding, giving you the number of examples that, that you need to understand something. So AI can be an enormously useful tool for improving people's understanding and learning. I don't think we'll ever replace the role of human teachers because ultimately at the end of the day, we are all humans. We thrive on interaction and connections with each other. And AI will be a support tool. I don't think it will replace teaching as, as a profession. But as we mentioned already, there are negative aspects of AI when it comes to assessing students' work or, or cheating, as well as some of the un unintended consequences of AI, where if you don't know where that information has come from, how can you verify it or double check that it's factually accurate? There's been a number of, a lot of talk recently about AI hallucinating. If it doesn't know something, it just makes it up but it makes it up very convincingly. So it can often be quite hard to double check the references and verify that information is, is true, which is one of the skills that I am involved in teaching my students at the moment, how to use AI creatively and constructively without over-relying on it or straying into plagiarism and cheating within the education system. And then I think one of the things that AI is very good at is churning through and processing vast amounts of data. I mean, assuming that you've got your machine learning system set up correctly and trained properly and you're using it in the way that it was intended to be used, machine learning and AI techniques are incredibly powerful in pulling out the important information in, in a sea of data. But to convert that information into new understanding, that is the role of humans in that, in that process. And it will remain the role of humans in understanding what is important and how to implement, as you say, that information once you've, you know, fished out of the sea of data. Very distinct memories of being maybe 11, maybe 12 years old, living in my parents' house. And one of our neighbours, Molly, her son-in-law was a man called Neil Ausman, who at the time was very senior in NASA. And so whenever Neil came over with his English wife to England, they would visit her mother, my neighbour, 
and he was exceedingly generous with his time and he would let me go around and just pick his brains for hours at a time about everything and anything under the sun or in the solar system about different planets and he sort of brought photographs for me that the NASA probes had taken and they had printed out and it was the incredible generosity of his spirit and his time for you know some random 11 year old just to sit down with me and sort of talk to me that really fired up my passion in science and then specifically space science as well it's in finding things out for yourself that is that you know deep spark of, of human creativity which gives us the innovation and all the sort of creativity and, and, and designs that, that we can come up with so it's i think that is something that you would absolutely want to try to continue nurturing in yourself and what has given your life meaning? Well, that is a very deep and profound question. So for the books that I've written, I've always tried to write the book that I wanted to read myself, but then realised it didn't yet exist. And I'm sure that every single one of us has got someone like Neil in our own past, someone that took the time and had, had that generosity to just talk to you and nurture that interest that, that was just starting out as a seedling. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.